Date with a Debut is a Words and Nerds and Breathe Art podcast co-production, recorded on a Wagbacool country. And I pay my respects to all elders past and present, and extend that to any First Nations people tuning in. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. On with the show. Basically, the novel was an exercise in me exploring my own anxieties and the questions I'd kind of asked myself, present them in a way that was palatable. So I challenged myself to write a joyful and uplifting book about death. Hello, I'm Nick Slee, former host of Tell Me What to Read, author of When Men Cry, and I'm here for, to continue this mini-series with Words and Nerds, shining a light on debut novelists and their journey to publication. If you're looking for new books to devour, this is the place to be. you're looking for writing inspiration, this is the place to be. This is Date with a Debut, because nothing hits you like a first impression. And joining me uh, for this episode is someone all the, coming all the way from the other side of the world, from, from America, Mickey Brammer, Aussie author based in New York. She writes normally in her normal day-to-day about architecture, design, arts, more. And her first book, The Collected Regrets of Clover, is out May 2nd, published by Penguin Random House Australia. Mickey, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on here with you. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. And I love this book that you have put together. In, and I also love the fact that it comes with this title, this kind of little byline at the beginning, maybe the biggest risk in life is taking no risks at all, which Uh I absolutely love. In typical date fashion, first of all, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came on this, uh, on this writing journey. So as you mentioned, I'm a journalist by trade. I started out my career. I went to uni in Brisbane. I'm from Tasmania, but I went to uni in Brisbane and then worked. um, I became the editor of a pop culture magazine in Brisbane called Map Magazine. And I was there for about five years or so, and that was a lot of interviewing, you know, celebrities, chefs, designers, kind of every everybody across the pop culture spectrum. Then I moved to Paris for a year where I worked as a writer and photographer, and I had a column in a British magazine called France Today, which was basically aimed at British retirees who want to retire in France. <laughs> and I, I had a column called My Life in Paris, and so it was kind of like a you know, you were the real life Emily in Paris. Yeah, it was. I did it before her. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that was about 10 years ago. Then I, I moved to New York 10 years ago after that. Um, and I've been here ever since, uh, writing about, as you mentioned, art design and architecture, um, for publications like Architectural Digest and Elder Core, things like that. And yeah, so this is my first stab at a novel. Um, and to be honest, I hadn't really thought about I didn't think I'd ever write a novel really and then this idea came to me and I decided to sit down and see what it became. Stop the podcast! Stop the podcast! Hello, it is Nick Wasiliev here, host of Date with a Debut and I just wanted to reach out and say thank you to all of our incredible listeners on the Words and Nerds platform who have been listening to the podcast and sending messages of support. It has been absolutely humbling to hear from fellow authors, fellow readers, fellow writers, and fellow podcast listeners about the show. And it is a real privilege to turn you guys on to many exciting new and upcoming authors. The reason why I'm reaching out here is because one of the groups I've heard the most from is a lot of aspiring writers who have been wanting to learn more about the actual process of getting your book 
into publication? How do you complete a manuscript? How do you find a publisher? How do you complete the editing process? And how do you get that book printed and into stores? Of course, we cannot fully cover it in an episode of the podcast every single week, but I have another podcast that I dropped in 2021 called A Little Idea. This podcast essentially covers my entire process that I went with my debut novel, When Men Cry, from writing to publication to promotion. Over the course of this five-part mini-series, I sit down with some of the biggest names in the Australian publishing scene to cover this entire process front to back. And the best part, this entire series is completely free and available to listen wherever you get any of your podcasts. Please enjoy this brief snippet from the very first episode of that series where I sit down with Robert Salisbury, author and publisher, where he talks about some of the more unique processes that you can use to improve creating your manuscript. I invited Kate Forsyth, who's a Sydney-based author. She's written many books, over 25 books. She writes in different to different age groups and she's a very talented writer. And for every book, she keeps a scrapbook. And she brought one of her scrapbooks in and it was really fascinating because she writes fantasy. So she brought a scrapbook and she opened it up and inside were all these textures, like articles she'd ripped out, all these, this, this, this creativity that's gone through her mind, little trigger points, things that remind her of stories, of characters, of scenarios. And she crammed it all into this single resource. I, I thought that was really clever and, and just very useful to do. Because I, before then, I was your typical sort of sort of unorganized, disorganized person going around and saying, okay, I've got this idea, I'll write it down on a piece of paper, put it in the drawer. That's all very well, but actually this writing is like a job. There's, there's, a, there's an art to it and there's a craft to it. To hear more, head to the links in the description or head to my website, nickwasiliev.com and check out my podcast, A Little Idea, and start your own writing journey. All right, back to date with a debut. Give us your one minute pitch for the collected regrets of Clover. So it's about a 30 something death doula based in New York City, and she's dedicated her life to helping usher people peacefully through the dying process. But in doing so, she hasn't really lived a life of her own and she realizes she regrets that. And in her work, she comes across this 87 year old woman who's going through her last few months and she kind of has a really interesting background and Clover gets caught up in what this woman's regrets are and wonders if she might be able to help resolve them and in doing that uh, she goes on a bit of an adventure herself and kind of learns to open up to the world and overcome some of her own regrets. Uh, Yeah I love this it's great great summary you couldn't have nailed it any better um it it, you know I, I Connected with this book in quite a few ways, not the least of which because I think, first of all, my family, I have a lot of, you know, a couple of members of my family who work in the medical sector. And so they do a lot of this stuff that Clover does and talk and they talk a lot about, you know, assisting people in that, you know, in that last stage of their life. I love this book because also examining death, I think, is probably one of the most interesting topics out there. Um, mm-hmm. But this book isn't depressing at all. It feels more like a, a celebration. And there's moments of, of jet black humour as well yeah. in it that I just, I love. That's the sort of stuff mm-hmm. that I, I lap up. And it sometimes even, there was even moments where I was like going, characters that were so morbidly obsessed, it, it kind of even reminded me of, you know, I was thinking of like the narrator in Fight Club and how they, mm-hmm. they go to cancer chat groups, even though right. they're not suffering from cancer. Yeah, Just like that morbid fascination or interest 
Um, mm-hmm. But I got the sense as well with these themes and, and topics, they came from a very interesting, just interesting place. What were you kind of trying to address with this book? Where did this book kind of fall out of the ether for you? Yeah, it actually came from the fact that I had a lot of anxiety around death and I had had that since I was a kid. And I also grew up with family who's in the medical professional health profession. And so to them, death was a very normal thing that they saw regularly. But for me, kind of the creative kid, it was not normal. And so I, I, and it's not something that's really talked about in Western society. It's a little bit taboo. And I think that made it even scarier, but I'm also someone who, you know, when I'm scared of something, I make myself do it until I'm not scared of it anymore. So I figured, all right, I'm going to get curious and immerse myself in the topic of death, which in New York City is very easy to do. You can go down a rabbit hole of, you know, going to death related talks. I went to lectures by hospice nurses. I went to, you know, talks on stoicism because they will really, they analyze death a lot. I went to message circles, which are kind of like seances. And I went to, which are in the book, The Death Cafes, Mm, um, which a lot of people don't think are real. But from all of that, that's when I came across the the concept of the death doula. And I was just fascinated that someone would do that, just, Mm. you know, dedicate their life to being with people when they die and not looking away from their pain. And I just thought, wow, what a noble thing to do. Mm. And that's where the character of Clover came about. And so basically the novel was an exercise in me exploring my own anxieties. And I then wanted to find a way to make all these topic, all these interesting things I'd learn and the questions I'd kind of ask myself, present them in a way that was palatable to other people who perhaps might have anxieties around death and wouldn't normally read a book about death. So I challenged myself to write a joyful and uplifting book about death, which hopefully that's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. You, you definitely achieved that. But also I think you gather, you, you touch on something else that I think a lot of keeping with that, you know, experience in the medical sector, there's also like people often speak about the privilege of viewing mm-hmm someone die like that there's yes. actually something similar to the privilege of be of seeing someone be born there's mm-hmm. something in a very similar way to you know watching someone you know quietly quietly slip away and i just thought that there was yeah like are you touch on it being like such a noble thing it's so fascinating to dissect and i love that you have this character in clover who is who who is the lens that we view this all in she's such a fun character to dissect on the page she's funny she is heartfelt she can be awkward she can even sometimes feel a little distant with her Mm -hmm. kind of obsession with this particular with with death and I also think she contrasts very nicely with Claudia with the Mm -hmm. with the other character you mentioned this former journalist who you know she's dying herself how did these characters where did these characters kind of emerge and mm-hmm. where, why, where did they become the real space where you're like, okay, this is the lens by which I can examine these themes and topics? Mm-hmm. Well, with Clover especially, I wanted the, the same way as she kind of guides someone through their death as peacefully as she can, you know, being a comfort so that they're not alone. I wanted her to kind of do that same thing for the reader and to like speak about death so confidently and, you know, so intimately that she's kind of saying to them, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm with you in this, you know, it's going to mm. be okay as, because, you know, there's a lot of people dying in the book. And so yeah, and, there is, and, and you, I really wanted to make sure that wasn't depressing. And there's even some humor in some of the dying moments. And I think that's, um, that was really important. And then I really wanted to 
show that, you know, a lot of people in big cities, loneliness is a huge problem in big cities, which is really interesting because there's so many people, but we Mm. can't connect to each other. And I think for a lot of people who feel lonely and maybe feel unloved, don't actually realize that they are loved by people Mm. in their peripheral in different ways. So I kind of wanted to have all these different contrasting characters whose personalities were very different from Clover's that kind of pull her out of her shell and care for her, but they do it in their very different ways. That's where the characters came from, the elderly characters. You know, I I have spent a lot of time volunteering with the elderly. I have a lot of great aunts and uncles who help raise me, so I really have a soft spot for those people. And so I really wanted this to be a bit of a love letter for Mm. um, to those people and also showing them as you know, humans, not just the old people in our lives, but people who have lived full lives and earned the wisdom that they pass on to us. Mm. And so those, the the four elderly characters are really amalgamations of a lot of my aunts and uncles and grandparents and elderly people that I've volunteered with here in New York and, and in Australia and other places around the world. Yeah, they're great. They're really, I, I do, they feel very like, well, true, true to what their former feel lived in. There's a lot of, of depth to them, which is just fantastic. And I love that you this the, the, that they pull Clover out of her shell across this across this story. I think that's a really great way to describe it. Um, particularly when you know we, you touched on it earlier, but how kind of in the second half of this book, Clover kind of it becomes a bit of a road trip. She goes traveling, mm-hmm. you know, that for reasons that we'll you know we'll keep spoiler three free because yeah. we want people to go and check out this book. Um, yeah. But, you know, also that she kind of comes to the conclusion, uh, conclusions around her own life and, and conclusions mm-hmm. around, you know, resolutions to, you know, these things that she's searching for uh, and that the secret to uh, to a beautiful death is a beautiful life. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate a little more on, first of all, because you're dealing with, you're dealing with this particular topic and also dealing with people, you know, in this space, it's like, there's, how did you kind of come to that conclusion? Um, as a, as an endpoint for this story out of curiosity, I think it came from the regrets angle a little bit. You know, I think we're often taught that regrets are an inherently bad thing, and I don't agree with that. I think regrets are how we learn and grow. And you know, if you don't regret something, then you've probably never made a mistake or mm. you know gone out of your comfort zone. So having a regret, as long as you can kind of look back and go, okay, I learned from this, then you know, that's not a bad thing to have. And obviously there are regrets that you just really regret. And, you know, having said something that hurt somebody or things like that, but for the most part, um, I think that we can learn from them. And I think in that vein, the key to life is really living it and, you know, Mm. getting your heart broken and making mistakes because that means you've really tried and you've really lived. And that's what it means to be human. And, you know, you can't, evolve as a person if you're not you know having if you're not falling over and having to pick yourself back up that's just the human experience Mm. and so I think with Clover she's protected her so much because she's been hurt she doesn't want to be hurt anymore so she's basically just closed herself off to the world um, and becomes obsessed with people giving people a, a beautiful death but then she's not, and she realizes she's not going to have that because she hasn't lived a life. Mm. And that's really the key. And I'm not sure how I, if there was one particular moment where I came to that conclusion, but just as I was writing, and then that particular scene where a character says that about a beautiful 
living a beautiful life. Um, it kind of just felt natural, especially the way that character lives their life. Mm, absolutely. I, I, it reminded me of, of a particular book by um, uh, Rachel and Ross Menzies, and they study this this space and where death fits in Western society, and they mm-hmm. uh, covered it in a, in a fantastic book called Mortals um, that came out a few years ago. And they mm-hmm. described on their last pages kind of, first of all, everyone having their time in the sun. And so, mm-hmm. therefore, the point of of life is to just live it. And I think it circles really nicely back to this byline that we mentioned at the start. Maybe the biggest risk in life is taking no risks at all, which mm-hmm. is, I think, such a nice sentiment to kind of finish on. I also just want to quickly add that I just also mm-hmm. love your description of grief as like dust, uh, a dust storm. So you're completely, when you're in the midst of it, you're completely disorientated by the by the onslaught of it. And then as it recedes, you slowly find your bearing, you find a way forward and then, but then you also find dust in all the crevices of yourself and, and it might never disappear completely. And then you find it in unexpected places in unexpected moments. I thought it was just such a great way to describe grief and that, and that emotion and that it's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank mm. you. And that was a really important thing for me to get across because having watched quite a few people close to me grieve and knowing that society kind of puts this timeline on grief as and positions it as something that you inevitably get over. And I think if you love someone, then you're likely never going to stop grieving them in some way. It might not be as kind of debilitating as it is at the beginning, but I think we really need to shift the perspective that you're supposed to get over your grief and really it's just you learn to to live with it in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of wanted to include this at the end, but I, I want to kind of ask it now uh, mm-hmm. following, you know, your, your own progression and your own journey. Where does death sit for you now? Is it something that you still look at with some trepidation or anxiety like previously, or are you more settled in it? Did the book teach you that? It did. It actually, I can honestly say I'm mostly at peace with it now. And and that was my purpose for writing the book. So in that way, it's it's been a success for me um, before it's even come out. And because <laughs> what it did was really make me examine where the fear came from, why I felt that way, and then kind of address that. Um, so it was a really healthy exercise for me to do. And I hope that it kind of helps other people do the same kind of, I really wanted to weave in these questions that I asked myself into the narrative without being too on the nose and hammering them over the head with the with the themes um, so <laughs> that maybe people would consider it themselves and maybe having the, the characters ask themselves those questions, it's less of a, it's less preachy. I want to ask you about your journey to publication, mm-hmm. um, if I can, because, uh, you know, we were talking about just before we started recording, you know, mm-hmm. this this book's already gone everywhere. It's going, you know, something you said, something like 23 different countries coming out first in Australia, but also then going, you know, to America and all around the world. What was that journey to publication like? I mean, I was kind of lucky in a way that I didn't know much about the publishing industry because I hadn't been in it. And so... When I, you know, started looking into it and I looked into the querying process and kind of how to do that and was lucky to get the agent that I wanted quite early. I queried about 10, but 
but got ended up with the one that I wanted. And then I didn't really know what happened from there, but then it, um, we went out in the U S and it, uh, it went to auction there. So five imprints bid on it. And then, um, I ended up with St. Martin's, which is Macmillan in the U S and with uh, an editor, Sarah Canton, who I love, and she's just made Clover so much better. And then quite soon after that, it sold in the UK, um, to Viking, uh, which is Penguin and then to Penguin in Australia as well. And because mm. all those deals happened or very quickly or close together, all three editors gave me feedback at once in one document, which was such a great experience for me. I felt so lucky to have three brilliant editors working on it together and so grateful that they kind of put in the hard work of having to collaborate. Um, and then from there, I have a really great foreign agent at my agency. Trellis is the the agency that I'm with, um, Alison Maleka. And she just, I don't know, I, I didn't, hadn't even really considered it being published in other languages. So when they started coming in and so early, it was just after we sold it um, and they've been trickling through ever since. And as you say, I think it's about 23 regions. I'm not sure, um, but they're very diverse. You know, there's Brazil, China, South Korea. Croatia, mm. uh, like France, Italy, Norway. It's just mind-blowing. and this is, just, a dream, I, this is a dream run. I'm not going to yeah. lie. It's like, yeah, yeah. If you, when you're getting five imprints bidding on this, on a, on, a, on, a work, on a work, that's fantastic. I think that's a great indication of the quality of the book um, and that, 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 that so many people were so interested in and invested in it. I just love the fact you had three different editors for different types yeah. of the book. That's something I haven't heard of. Because I mean, I, I wanted to ask you about you know the editing and the you know the experiences that 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 you know that 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 had because I often personally found you know editing is probably the funnest part of the book of, mm, of the whole is. process. Mm -hmm. um, I often find getting the first draft out is really hard, but then the moment you give it to somebody and then they give you mm. feedback, you're like, oh, now I see I feel direction and and mm -hmm. and sense of of where which darlings I have to kill and which ones are, are really kind of standing out as as hey this actually works quite well what was it like working with three editors at the same time yeah I loved it because I love being edited I think that comes from journalism because you just have to make peace with it because it just happens all the time mm. um and I also love collaboration so having three experts in their field to bounce ideas off and to kind of what the the level they brought the book to from what it was. And also my agent, Michelle Brower, I worked on it with her too before we submitted it to agents. So I got a lot of really expert eyes on this book and, and it's so much better for it. And mm. I just loved what they can see. And, you know, they're seeing, they're reading books all day, every day and have done for, you know, most of them for 10 years. And so they really know and it kind of, there were a few things that I pushed back on and explained kind of why, but I'd say 90% of the things they suggested, I definitely incorporated. And it was nice just to have three different perspectives because they didn't always agree, mm. but they kind of presented it to me. So like that I could go either way. And that was quite liberating for me as well. Mm. Um, and also, you know, I'm an Australian who wrote a book that's set in an American, in America and the characters that are American. Yeah. And so it was nice to have the, you know, Sarah, my US headed who, who could catch those Australianisms or Britishisms that I didn't know were that Speak which the, the other two. Yeah. Mm. But then kind of, I would say the humor is more Australian slash British because that's a, those are some similar type of humor. And so mm. it was nice to have the people kind of from those countries who uh, then could, 
understand that. And it was a nice balance between the the two cultures or three cultures. And, um, and and just it was really, to me, the fact that it has sold in many countries was just really validating in that it's, it is a universal thing, which, you know, when I had the idea for the book, I was like, oh, well, I think this is a really good idea, but it could also be just a terrible idea. <laughs> um, and then, and so when I was going to agents and when we went to some editors in the US, some people did say, you know, I don't think I can sell death. Um, and which was interesting because it was right in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, I feel like I, I think that there's if there's one thing you can sell, you can sell death because everyone yeah. will be interested in it. It's probably right. one of the most interesting topics you can uh, you can discuss because it's going to be a part of everyone's lives. It's exactly. I think that's yeah. yeah you, this is, wouldn't be anything else you could sell. Yeah. Uh, this is. It sounds like you had just a fantastic run with this book, and also the fact that you, you you kind of came into this with not much experience of the actual publishing world. I also find really interesting. What would be your advice then for any you know prospective authors or first time authors who are listening to this and going, "Wow, how do we how do we get to where Mickey's at?" I think from what I've observed, because then I do have a lot of writer and author friends here in New York, and um and also you know have met more during this process, but. I think it's really tempting to try and write what you think will sell um, and write what's on trend or write what you think is going to get you the big deal or get, you know, um, is going to be the most successful. But I think readers are so smart, even if it's not, even if it's subconsciously that they're picking up on it. And I think the reason why I hadn't thought of really writing a novel until this point was because I felt like I didn't have anything to say. And I didn't want to put anything out in the world just for the sake of putting something out in the world. And with this, I really had something to say because I really wanted to say, because I really wanted to kind of explore this thing that I was feeling and make that accessible to other people. And I think that might, I think it must resonate with people because the intention, I mean, it might sound a bit woo woo, but I feel like it's there and readers can tell when they're being manipulated Mm. and because it came from a genuine place which is not to say people aren't writing genuine things, but I think if you have an agenda, sometimes the reader can pick up on that. Mm. So I would say, you know, write the thing that you just absolutely must share with the world. What is it that you really want to say? And the other thing I would say is to remember that you're your best advocate because everybody you're working with in this process has many other authors, many other books, many other clients, and you're the only person who's keeping track of everything. So don't be afraid to ask questions or to follow up on things or to, you know, really try and obviously don't be demanding, but don't be afraid to speak up Mm. if you have an idea. And I've been really lucky that the process has been really collaborative and they've involved me a lot in, in covers and, you know, the taglines and all of those sorts of things, social media. So um, I think they always love your opinion. And so if someone asks you what you think, be honest and and take that opportunity to advocate for yourself. Will you write again? Is there anything next on the horizon? Yeah, it's um, I got a two book deal um, in a few of the markets. So I'm working on that now. Um, and I also have an idea for a third. So I think so. Yeah, I'm enjoying the process. I enjoy writing. So, and now I have, I mean, with the second book now, I have access to all these amazing brains to help me while I'm writing it, which is quite a luxury compared to before when mm. you try to get it the best you can before you even query. So I'm looking forward to to taking advantage of that. 
Absolutely. And I, hey, more excited. I, I'm, if this is a, an indication of what's to come, then sign me up for more. Yes, please. Because uh, <laughs> this is a really fantastic book and you should be really proud of it. It's a great oh, story. Thank you. finish off with some fun rapid fire questions uh, for mm-hmm. this part of the of the date no uh, no pressure at all what's your favorite book that you have read in the last 12 months um i really loved uh intimacies by katie kitamura mm-hmm. and i loved that because it's set in the hague and it's uh, a story about a translator in the hague and that's just a world that I've never read about before. It's a fascinating world. And it really illustrates kind of, she talks about the liminal space between languages, you know, when you're speaking to someone in a language that's not your own, you know, are you really speaking to them? And that's kind of a, a theme in many different ways in the book. But just the writing itself is really atmospheric. And I just admire that so much. And it was just such an experience and a pleasure to read. It's not heavy on plot but it was just fascinating to be placed in that milieu that we don't really, I've never seen it in a book before. Mm. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. Great book. Love it. You mentioned you, in your day-to-day, you do, you know, you're a journalist, you work mm-hmm. for a bunch of arch- um, architecture and design places. What's your favourite room to critique or examine within when looking at that? Do you have a particular room in a, in a house or whatever when you're, when you're doing that sort of stuff that you go to and you're like, I love what go what happens what what how people put together bedrooms or bathrooms or kitchens. Is there a room that you go to? Oh, that's a good question. I wouldn't say there's a particular room, but I always love thinking about how people's houses reflect them. Mm. And I do it whenever I visit anybody's house because I've been in so many, and just um, because I get to interview the homeowners as well, and so it is really interesting to see how it's a reflection of their taste and of them. So I think it's really like, I don't like to impose my taste, which is very minimalist on other people's and kind of critique that way. But Mm. it is interesting how people, their spaces reflect their personality. And actually that's something I tried to do in the book. You'll see with the characters, their living spaces say a lot about who they are. Do you have a favorite word? I do. Mm. I love awkward because it's awkward because those two W's besides the K's, like I really am in, I think, cause I, I speak a few languages and I've been a copy editor and as being a writer, you know, I just love the rhythm of words. I love the way they look. And I've always loved awkward because it embodies itself basically. Wonderful. That's a great word. I love it. <laughs> On the topic of death, if there is a groom reaper mm-hmm. uh, at the end and you suddenly see them at the end of your life, would you be terrified or would you think he's kind of a chill dude? Oh, no, I'm fascinated to know what there is. So I'd be like, oh, okay, this is not what I expected, but I'd love to chat to you. You know, I wrote a book about death, so I've got lots of questions. I think I would be very interested. I'm someone who, like, I would say I believe in ghosts. I've never seen one, but if I ever saw one, I would be very curious to to speak to them and understand why they're lingering on, Mm. on the plane or whatever it is that ghosts do. Love it. Do you, what's your favorite debut book that you've ever read? Oh, that would be hard to think of on the spot. Recently, I really loved um, a book called You Exist Too Much by Zaina Arafat. Um, That came out a couple of years ago. Uh, Marmit by Jessica George is a great one Mm. that came out this year. 
that it's really fun, but also deals with kind of grief in a, in a, an interesting, but joyful way. Uh, I think those are the the two main ones that come to mind. Yeah. I love it. Great ones. And then finally, last question, where is your favorite place to read in bed on the couch or out the back in the shade on a sunny afternoon? So of those three? Of those three. I mean, you could have another one. Well, I'm, I'm easy. Um, I will read anywhere. Um, I would actually say the location is less important than the cup of tea that's sitting next to me Ooh. while I'm reading. Um, but I like a nice breeze. Actually, my mum's house in Tassie has a nice deck um, with the gum trees outside and the, you know, the cockatoos on the, sitting on the the ledge or what do you, railing. Um and that's really nice to sit out there and just read with my feet up. I love it. That's great. And I'm tempted to ask, what what what's your go-to tea for reading? Earl Grey. Oh, yes. Always. Good. Yeah. Good. good choice. Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could honestly chat to you all day, but I, uh, I'm i aware that, you know, you've got a, a book to put out in the world and it's and it's super exciting. Um, so I'll simply finish off by saying, you know, thank you so much, Mickey. It's been a, an absolute pleasure chatting to you about this book. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time. It's really been great chatting with you as well. And I really appreciate your interest in my book. Absolutely. It's great fun. And I'll be, I'll be shouting it from the heavens uh, with this Thank podcast you. and, <laughs> and, uh, and all of the, and hope, and I really hope it, it goes out and finds the audience that will, will take so much from it. Thank you. I hope so too. For all of our listeners, The Collective Regrets of Clover is published by Craig and Random House here in Australia. If you liked our show, drop us, drop words and nerds a review. Let us know what you think and who you'd like to hear from next. Thanks for your time.